Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. Well, I had a uh, little bit of an interesting situation happen yesterday afternoon. You know when you've just got your sermon already, and well, well, maybe you don't know, but you can imagine, all right? The PowerPoint's been done, and I've kind of, over the last week or two, been honing it. I even sent out a letter. Who, who was expecting to hear a message on the vision, where we're we going as a church today? Anybody? Five of you. Great. Well, um, I got that date wrong in the letter. I said 19th instead of 20th. So I was waiting for you yesterday. No, I'm just kidding. I did make a mistake. But anyway, so I'm honing, I'm kind of, I'm, I really am excited about this word for the future of our church. We, you know, the framework of which we're going to unpack as we go forward in 2019. And in the afternoon sometime, I'm just going to go enjoy some cricket. And I've got a re- like a stirring, a restlessness going on. And I've this sense of people standing facing the, the wrong way. People looking with the wrong perspective. People just kind of up against a brick wall. And it doesn't fit with this message. And, and scriptures start dropping into my heart. And I go, Lord, please don't do this to me. I want to relax this off this evening. I've got my kids. We're going to have a meal together. So here I go. Say after me, Lord, help my pastor. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that there is hope for the hopeless. I thank you there is vision for those, Lord, who are feeling downtrodden. I thank you that there is life for those who see emptiness and and fruitlessness. There is prosperity and blessing to your people. And Lord, today we just want to commit our hearts to be encouraged and revived by your spirit and by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll read a verse there that I believe should come up uh, on the board as well. I gave these, I ran in this morning and said, yes, Steve, drop the PowerPoint, put this up. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Or the Greek there is a little bit ambiguous. It can also be uh, you can't add any uh, stature to your life. It could be uh, interpreted as time or as heart. So, Let's face it, little boy goes along to the uh, fun fair and he wants to go on the uh, roller coaster, but he's just too short. Comes under the bar. And even on tiptoes, remember Janet, poor little rain, he stood on tiptoes trying to get up to that thing. <laughs> and, but he couldn't get to, all your worrying, all your concern, all your anxiety is not going to achieve uh, uh, another centimeter. So Jesus is using that as a parallel to say, all your worrying, all your anxiety cannot take care of your needs. It's the same comparison. 
with worrying, you can't grow. And with worrying, you're not going to have your needs met. But here's an interesting thing in there. He says to them, your father, your father. Up until that time, it had been blasphemous to speak of Jehovah God as my father. You know, when Jesus did say, he's my father and I'm his son, they wanted to kill him. Because that was blasphemy. By claiming to be a child of God means you were made of his stuff. You're of his essence. You're of his DNA. And that was blasphemy worthy to be killed. Now Jesus is going one step further in his her- heresy. Not only is he calling himself the son of God, but he's saying to his disciples, his followers, he's saying, your father. Your father, your father, my father. Not just some distant deity, some physical law, some metaphysical principle, some, some quantum physics. Uh, no, daddy, father, God, he is the one who's going to care for you. He is the one who's going to watch over you. And if he can clothe the fields that are so beautiful, even compared to the glory of Solomon, how much more can he take care of you? Come on, church. Your father can take care of you. Your father can take care of me. Our father can take care of us. And we are so prone to anxiety, so prone to worry. But that is about as much common sense as thinking you can grow a centimeter by worry. Just doesn't work. But your Father in heaven. Come on, I know some of you, you feel like you're looking at a brick wall. And you're saying, when Lord, when Lord. And you keep on contenting yourself in the fact that the more I worry, the, the better it's going to be. And today the word of the Lord to you is, your worry needs to be replaced by trust in a father who loves you and cares for you and is watching over you. Amen. Amen. A second scripture, it's in, um, in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, 8 to 11. Read with me. Now, in the context, just before you read, in the context, um, okay, so, so in Hebrews 3, it's building up to this, they couldn't enter their rest. So they couldn't enter their rest. Because of unbelief, that was the sin that was holding them back. That was the sin that stumbled them in the wilderness. Their unbelief and that sin prevented them from entering rest. But in chapter 4, it encourages us in, with a promise that still stands of entering your rest. And it says that they had the gospel preached to them. They didn't believe it. But if we believe it, we will enter the rest. And then he contrasts it with the rest that was given uh, in the wilderness journey from verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a, a Sabbath rest, For the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest, also rests from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort. Say that with me. Every effort 
See, it takes effort to enter rest. Sounds like a contradiction, but it's not. So that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Their disobedience was they refused to believe the good message that God gave them. Let me ask you a question. When God created man, what was his first day he got up to go to work on? Well, if you know your Bibles, he was created by the sick day. So man's first day of work was the Sabbath, the rest day. My friends, that is a picture that our life isn't working for rest, but working from a place of rest. And that's what the gospel provides for us. The gospel says to us, Jesus lived the perfect life you could never live. Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. And when you put your faith in him, all the attributes of his righteousness are imputed to you. And God sees you in Christ till the day you die. Warts, pimples, freckles, and all. And yes, he wants to keep you out of Damage control, so he, he, ch he changes the way you think, and as your way you think changes, your life changes. But God's opinion of you is Jesus. And when you see that in the gospel, when you know the good news is about the grace of Jesus who did what we could never do, and that the finished work of the cross means there's nothing more I can add to it, we enter our spiritual rest. Because up until then, we are working, trying to be better, trying to be more righteous, feeling guilty about this, feeling guilty about that. But coming to a place of faith in the finished work of the cross is where our rest begins. And that's the gospel that was preached to them. And they didn't believe it, so they couldn't enter the rest. And it's the gospel by which you stand. So there, we start at the finish line. We enter our Christianity in rest, the Sabbath, the finished work of the cross. But let's take it a little bit further this morning. Because I can see some of you are thinking about Monday tomorrow. When is the first day of the week? Hello? Today is your Monday. And you know what you did on the first day of your week? You got out of bed. You came and stood with a group of worshippers. You sang declarations of love to the King of Kings, remembering the work of the cross, partaking of the communion, having some guy get up on the stage who admitted that he wasn't prepared and preach a word to you, hoping to encourage you. This is the first day of your week. Tomorrow is your Tuesday. You go into tomorrow saying, I want to be rested in my spirit. I want to be rested. You see the rest of the day. Whether you watch a bit of cricket highlight, whether you go and have some lunch, whether you go and have a sleep, all that time can come out of this as an overflow with the residue of worship still on you. Lord, I don't cut off my morning service because I walk out of church. My, my, my love for you continues throughout the day. Today is my day of rest. And even if I've got to do some things for preparation, uh, part of my worship to you is, is my work is my rest, is enjoying some sports, reading a book, going for a walk with my sweetheart on the beach. Whatever you, it's, it's out of a day of rest. And coming out of that, we work. We go, we go, we go, we go. But you know what our mentality is? Oh no, it's January. That means I've got to go January, February, March. 
Get a weekend off. Amen. Save, save, save. December. That's working for rest. Not working from rest. Come on. You see, if, if I can get my mind around that, that, I'm, that rest is not inactivity. It doesn't, I mean, nothing wrong with having a holiday at the end of the year. Holiday is great. It's fun. We should do it more often. Rest is something different. You know, you can go on holiday and not have rest. Coming to the year exhausted. I know somebody like that right now. But rest, spiritual rest, what he created you for is when you believe the good news and allow it to soak you. And as it's pictured by starting your week off on Sunday, so your life starts off, every day starts off out of a place of rest. Can you see? Your year starts off out of a place of rest. Finding his presence, finding what he's done. Can you say amen? A third scripture in helping those who feel blocked in and locked in and up against the wall is in John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, and reading from, from, verse, from verse 19. Oh, this is so good. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we have set our hearts at rest. Okay? So this is how we know. If you've done, if you're in rest, this is how you know. Our, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and He knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we keep His command and do it pleasing. Ah, oh, you see, there it goes again, having to keep God's command and it's, you know, it's conditional, you know, carrot and whip, uh, you know, so I got, you know, back to, the, back to keeping your command. Let's see what those commandments are in verse 23. And this is His command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. So you want to know if you're in rest? It's when your heart is no longer condemning you. And when your heart doesn't condemn you, you come boldly into God's presence, into his throne room, and say, on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? And you silence off those, those lying voices that tell you, who do you think you are to ask God for anything? He knows who you really are. He saw you. When your heart does not condemn you, you have boldness and confidence to ask anything. But sometimes our heart does condemn us. In fact, our heart's trying to condemn you all the time. You know what? When they talk about a motor car that's been condemned, what are they referring to? It's had its day. It's in the scrapyard. A life that has been relegated to the scrapyard. You know, you just, the wrong age, the wrong color, the wrong accent, in the wrong education, with the wrong job, 
relegated to the scrapyard. You know that's a condemning lie from the pit of hell? Well, you were just born in poverty, so you'll stay in poverty. So be satisfied with the junkyard. People are being told that right now. As we're sitting in church, church, I'm telling you, there's people out there walking in the street, walking down the beachfront, walking in shopping centers that are hopeless. They believe that it's never going to get better. They look around them, and in the natural, they write. And until they hear a message and it changes the heart, there's no hope. And hope is the last thing to die in our life. Without hope, we just resign ourselves to the condemned scrap heap of the past. Failure. Can you see how dangerous it is to allow your heart to be condemned? I'm not only talking about condemned with sin and guilt. I'm talking about feeling condemned with uselessness, you've passed your sell-by date. Your health, you're going to go the same way as your mother and father. Come on. If we don't recognize the lies and recognize that God is bigger than my heart, when your heart condemns you, God is bigger than your heart. And He knows all things. He knows what He can do with you. He knows how to get you out of the predicament. He knows how to straighten things that look like they're going to always be crooked. He knows how to bring corruption out of darkness. He knows how to bring the poverty into justice. He knows how to turn you away from looking like you're in a blank wall facing an obstacle to where you turn 180 degrees and see light and life and opportunities again. Amen? Then you can ask, then you can ask. And he will. And he will. And he will. Last scripture. Revelations. Chapter 4. Verse 8. Oh, this is so awesome. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and were covered with eyes around them under its wings, day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Who was and is and is to come. Can you say it with me? Who was and is and is to come. The God who was was the God of creation. Nothing too difficult for him to fling out a cosmos with billions and billions of galaxies in perfect harmony, upon which one life began to emerge. Thanks. And, 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 the, and the splitting of the atoms and the, 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 the majesty of, of the universe. But he also is. He's the God who's present. He's not just the God of the past. He's the God who's now in your life. That's why he calls himself his name. I am. Because what he was, he also is. What he was in the cross, in the blood, in the death, burial, and resurrection, he is now present. We don't just look back and admire a far-off cross. We don't look back and sing, oh, rugged cross, how wonderful you are. We stand now in that finished work. We stand now saying, the cross's work has been completed, and I am complete in him. But it, God was, and He is, and He is to come. 
God has already gone into your future. God has already walked on into 2025. God's already walked into 2036. God has already walked into 2055. I know where I'll be. I'll be in heaven. But God's already walked into your future and our children's future and our grandchildren's future. And He's already there as the God who was and is and is to come. We need to get a bigger vision of God. We need to blow it out of our skulls that He's a small, incompetent, insipid little God. We need to see God in His majesty and His glory that everything he was, he is, and he will to come. Can you say amen? I heard a really funny story over this Christmas time. My first dad, second wife, oldest son, second husband, somewhere, my stepmom. One of my stepmoms, okay. One of my stepmoms. So we're sitting around, all the kids having lunch, and my sister tells me the story. She goes into the shopping center, lifts open, she walks in, turns around, pushes the button. And she watches the numbers, ding, 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 stops. She hears voices, but the lift is stuck. And she starts to panic. And she starts to fear and the stress. And she hits the button. Open, open, open. She hears voices, but the door is stuck. She's jammed in. She's going nowhere. She pushes the alarm button. The door is jammed. And the next minute, she feels somebody tap her on the shoulder. And she turns around and the lift had opened on the other side. (laughs) True story. True story. Oh, dear Lord. Talk about needing to turn 180 degrees in your vision. Some of us are like that here this morning. Some of us are looking at provision and saying, it's impossible. Let me worry some more. My friend, it's time to stop knocking on a closed lift door and turn around and face the other way. Some of us this morning are sitting here and we're thinking God is too small for this situation I'm facing. My friend, it's time to turn 180 degrees and look the other way and see an open door. My friend, some of you are feeling condemned. Your heart's telling you it's over. It's too late. It's never going to work. It's never going to be successful. It's time to turn away from a closed door and face an open door. My friend, this morning I'm here to say, if you're feeling burnt out and stressed and that this year is going to be hard work, then I want to say, stop facing a closed lift and declare, my God's rest is for me. I receive it. It's finished. I'm going to draw into my spirit substance and sustenance and energy from the work of Jesus. And I'm going to start my wicked victory out of rest. I'm going to start my day in rest. And I'm going to face 180 degree new direction. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up together. This morning, Lord, we come to thank you. Thank you that there is hope for the hopeless. There is vision for the downcast. And there's an open door. For everyone who stands right now feeling, what can this year do? What can this year improve? What can this year give me that I didn't think last year can give me? 
Holy Spirit, right now, I pray, would you breathe? Breathe hope. 